Hey, product people, welcome to the Product to Profit podcast. We're pulling back the curtain on what it's really like to scale a product-based business profitably and getting into the mindset of a seasoned buyer. I'm your coach, Kristen Fisher, a former corporate retail buyer with over 15 years of experience working for some major brands that you would definitely know, turned six-figure e-commerce store owner of my own gifting brand, Boku, and a retail strategy coach for product-based business owners, just like yourself. Inside this podcast, I have honest conversations about what's going on inside of my own business. And I'm also sharing insights to help you get inside the mindset of a buyer to start applying big retail strategies to your own small retail business. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. So today I figured I could go into a topic that I can kind of talk about with my eyes closed, but I realized is not that familiar with a lot of people who do not know anything about corporate retail. And there's kind of this mystery cloud around the corporate retail buying process and what buyers and designers are really going through and what that process actually looks like. And here on the other side where we're small retail businesses just trying to figure it out or makers trying to get into those big brands or having conversations with the buyers in those big brands and maybe not understanding what the buyers are going through and what's causing them to change their buys or drag their feet or not get back to them. I'll give you a little bit of like the inside scoop on what that process is like. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. I have, as you know, I have a ton of experience in corporate retail. I've bought for so many different corporate retail brands ranging from, let's see, I started out my career as an intern and then worked my way into corporate at American Eagle. I've worked for Land's End. I've worked for uh, Destination Maternity, J. Jill, Urban Outfitters. I've kind of spanned the range of different customer types and different types of product categories. So I've worked in apparel, I've done sweaters, I've done sleepwear, I've done bottoms, denim, uh, knit tops, accessories, cold weather accessories, hats, sunglasses, all the things. So I have a really broad range of experience in corporate retail. One thing that is the same across the board is that every product business corporate retail product business, I should say, follows a similar structure and a cadence when it comes to the buying process. So it's called the product life cycle calendar or the PLC. That calendar is different, slightly different for every company based on their lead times, the different steps that they have or the different teams that they have in place. But the general concept of a PLC or a product life cycle calendar is the same across the board, no matter what company you go to. So I'm going to kind of take you through the process on what that looks like inside corporate retail. So let me first just preface this by saying there's probably going to be some different terms that I use just off the top of my head. I'm doing this without any notes. I'm just going to walk through the experience I've had. So if I say any terms that you don't know or you're feeling like, oh, I need a little extra support or checklist on this, I have a checklist for you. It's a cheat sheet, a retail terms and retail math formula cheat sheet. I'll put the link in my show notes so you can grab that. It'll just help you to kind of wrap your head around some of these corporate retail terms and things I'm using. PLC, for example, is on that cheat sheet. So, okay, let me just start with the very beginning of the process, which is the concept phase. So every retailer 
has a version of a concept process. Some brands, if they're really design first, design forward, meaning an on-trend brand that is trend-focused, like an Urban Outfitters, for example, would have a full concept team that is going out and shopping trends, trend spotting using WGSN. They are traveling. They are looking at what is new and hot out there that the ideal customer for that brand would be into. And those brands are the ones that know that people are looking to them for trend setting. Other brands that maybe aren't as trend focused, but want to be on trend might have a single person doing that or one or two people doing that. So a much smaller team that is focused just on the trend side. Like, let me just say, for example, Urban Outfitters had a full color team that was hand dyeing beautiful colored based on the trends and the concepts. They would take silk and dip dye them, and that would really be the color palette. So, full teams ranging from the concept to the color palette were in place because it's a very trend focused brand. Whereas a place like J. Jill, for example, with an older demographic still wanting to be relevant for their consumer, they had two people on the concept team. One was the concept director with one assistant that supported her, and they reported into the head of design. So it spans the gamut based on the focus for the brand and what their consumer looks to them for. But there's this whole concept process where they are looking at what is going on in the retail industry. They are forming color palettes. They are really just kind of informing the floor set guidance. At the same time as this first step in the calendar process is happening, buyers are taking a look at the hindsight that they did for the prior season. So let's say that the concept is happening for fall, winter, 2023. The buyers would go back and look at that floor set from the year before, take a look at the hindsight notes and the areas of opportunity for their different categories that they're buying for. And they focus on a line plan, which is really a template or a tool that helps guide them on how many choices they need. So you've heard me talk about assorting and the importance of assorting your your line to drive more profit in your business. This is what happens on the corporate retail side. They create a roadmap to follow that tells them based on the financials and the areas of opportunity to drive more profit in my specific category. So let's say it's a knit tops buyer. In the knit tops category, I know that I need 50 choices. And within that, I need three long sleeve tops. I need five short sleeve tops, those kinds of things. So when I say line plan, that's what I mean. This roadmap is then passed off to the designers. So there's a concept meeting. Right after the concept meetings, the buyers would meet with their design counterpart and they'd say, here's my line plan. This is how many choices I need. Then the design team goes and takes that line plan and they start sketching and designing into the concepts based on the framework that the buyer set out for them. So why this is important to note is the designers themselves are the creatives and they take that financial roadmap from their buyer and they're saying, all right, I need to kind of have a framework around my creative vision because I'm designing into a profit plan. So whenever we are small business owners and we're taking out those, we're removing the concept team, we're taking out those, those different counterparts. So there's no concept team, there's no designer, there's no buyer. Well, actually they are, and it's all one person, it's you, or if you have somebody that's helping you out. But more than likely, you're the maker and you're the buyer, and you are the person doing all these things. This is why I wanted to share this information because it kind of helps you to wrap your head around ways to think about 
profit first in your business. Okay. So the design team gets the line plan. They're designing into it. Simultaneously, the buyers are then going to market to fill holes in their line. So let's say their designer their design team does not do graphic tees. We're going to stick with the knit tops example. They they don't have a graphic designer in-house. So they might go to market and they might go to vendors that they can develop a whole graphic line, graphic t-shirt line that could be a friend to the rest of their collection. Now, this is where trade shows come into play. Typically, the trade shows happen around the same times as certain buying periods are happening for corporate retail. Not every major retailer goes to market or goes to trade shows. They might do one or the other or none of the above. They might have everything in-house. So for the apparel line with J. Jill, it was only in-house. We had our design team, but the footwear buyer would go to market to buy footwear. Okay. At Urban, for example, I would have my design team design a certain percentage of the assortment that would be in-house only. And then I would go to market and work with my vendors and I would go to trade shows to find brands. So it was all three of them were a part of the buying process for me. So it definitely depends on the brand it's themselves and or the retailer and what type of assortment that they have built out. But there's usually set percentages that you have to hit to make sure that you are driving profit margin, you're sticking to the the profit ratio that they have set between in-house designs versus outside product that you're bringing in. So designers are designing, buyers are in market, they're in trade shows. And when they're at the trade shows, they are looking for brands that are going to be complementary to the assortment that they know they're bringing in from their designers or that fit into that concept that the concept team brought to them. So there might be a brand out there that makes this gorgeous turquoise jewelry that we know we don't have a resource for at our, our retailer with all of our suppliers, that our design team might be able to design, but we can't actually produce. But I found this brand that has this gorgeous, beautiful little turquoise silver jewelry collection, and I'm going to bring them in as their full collection. And that can be like a, a little special collection, a marketing moment in, in my collection that I'm bringing in. So buyers are looking for something that is really special and unique and adds a value to their assortment. They are looking for something that stands out that they know isn't capable or isn't something that it, that their vendors are capable of making, their in-house vendors, so they're willing to go outside to look for it. Sometimes it's marketing opportunities, so they might be looking for a whole handmade collection that can come from brands that supply or work with uh, handmade uh, makers and artisans. That might be the marketing handle, so they are looking specifically for that. Sometimes they are just looking for cool new trends to bring in that can be complementary to what their in-house design team is doing. And other times they have no in-house design team. So they're bringing in the entire collection from an outside supplier. So it just completely depends on the type of brand. So fast forward, we have pulled together everything as buyers from the trade shows we've gone to, from the vendors and the development side that we've done on our own end. And our designers have gotten their sketches. They've brought them to life after they've had some meetings with the buyer to work through them. They've brought them to life in sample form and everything then comes together. 
So there is a big floor set kickoff meeting where typically the design team is presenting their design collection to the buying team. So it's really just the whole buying team. The executives are there walking through and the designers are saying, okay, here's how we took the concept and we brought it to life based on your financial line plan and roadmap that the buyers gave to us. And they usually they will set up a mock store. So either it's in a, a sample mock store that's literally looks like a store in the office, or it's in a big open room that they kind of put mannequins in and you walk through and they're showing you the color palette. And it's usually two to get to one. So if a buyer gives you, they say, I need 10 knit tops for this floor set, the designers will design into 20 knit tops and that's the two to get to one ratio. So they will overdevelop based on what you're asking for, which gives the buyers room to edit and to make decisions on what product looks best with the other product in the collection. So the designers give you that first edit. They walk you through. They say, this is how we brought this concept to life. This is how we see it flowing in the floor set. This is how long we imagine this is going to live on the floor based on the guidance from the merchandising team. So it's a really collaborative meeting that is driven by design. Nine times out of 10, no matter what type of company it is, whether they are design-led or buying-led, the designers own this meeting. From there, the buyers say, okay, let me take all the samples. They dismantle their beautiful collection and set up. They dismantle it and the buyers start building out their collection. So this is where we say, okay, I'm going to take all 20 knit tops that I was just given by my designer and I'm taking the graphic tees that I brought in from this really cool brand that I've met at a trade show and this new cool fabric that I found from our own uh, vendors that our design team didn't source. And I'm going to lay everything out and I'm going to start to figure out how I'm going to hit my sales plan with the, the product in front of me. So this is the part that I freaking love so much. I miss this. I do this in Boku, but I really do miss this on the corporate side. I loved this. I loved getting into a conference room, hanging up all my product, working with my assistant buyers or associate buyers on my team and just really digging in and saying, okay, here's the line plan that we set out at the beginning of the season. This is all the cool product that came in from the different channels that we were sourcing product from or the brands that we brought in or our designers samples. These are the different numbers and targets we have to hit. Does that still make sense? Do we see room about for opportunity because our design team brought us this really cool collection that we weren't expecting? Or we went to a trade show and we found this brand that I cannot resist bringing into the store. You know, you make those decisions and you start to build out your collection. You figure out where you have holes that you still need to develop into simultaneously, you are working on the buys and you're saying, all right, I've kind of edited down to my product offering. And now let me see if this actually makes sense financially. Can I afford all of this? You're working with your planners, which are the people that help put the financial plan together. And they're like your checks and balances. Because sometimes as buyers, we could say, I have to bring in five more choices because it is just so good. The product is so good. I found this brand. I have to bring them in. And your financial planners are the ones that don't really give a crap what it looks like or how cool it is. They say, you only have this much money to spend and they're your checks and balances. So again, I'm going to tie into as a small business owner, oftentimes we are the ones that are editing, making those decisions and having to hold ourselves accountable to our own budgets and say, 
I don't actually have the room in my budget to bring in this product. If you're not having those checks and balances with yourself, this is how you can get over assorted. You can bring too much product in and all of a sudden you have all your money tied up in inventory that's collecting dust on the shelves. We don't want that. So in corporate retail, there are all these different layers of the business and different people throughout the process that are giving checks and balances, you know, and making sure that you're staying profit focused throughout the whole decision-making process. So while the buyers are working through their samples and their buys, they're also reviewing with leadership team. So the buyers might be working with brands saying, oh, I absolutely love this collection of shower steamers, or I love this collection of um, graphic tees. We'll go back to that one. Your graphic tee line is so cool. We want to buy these five. Uh, this is my initial estimate on units and choices that I'm going to bring in. Can you confirm the cost for me, your best delivery? So they're having those conversations with you, the brand, and saying, this is what I think I might buy, but they haven't necessarily pulled it all together with the other categories. So if you're just talking to the knit tops buyer, I'm going to stick with this example the whole way through because I feel like it might help make a little more sense. If you're just talking to the knit tops buyer, at this stage, the buyer wants to make sure that they can afford your product, that it fits into their own assortment of knit tops, that you can hit their delivery, that you can hit their margin goals, all those things. So they need to have those conversations with you before everything's been signed off on. Now, after they get that information from you, then they can feel confident going in front of leadership. So the merchandising VPs, their directors, whatever level that they're working with and presenting to. And they can say, here is my presentation of knit tops for the fall winter collection. I'm obsessed with it. Here's how it financially makes sense. They're selling their assortment to leadership. But mind you, leadership has been working and looking at all the different other categories in the business. And so they're overseeing how the collection kind of comes together as a whole because the buyer, the knit tops buyer is focused on making the most possible profit and money for their specific category. Cause that's what they are. That is what they own in their business. The leadership then has the higher view and they're looking at the entire collection and making sure that it makes sense. So once those initial conversations happen, then you start putting together key looks or sections and zones in the store to make sure that the product all fits on the tables or on the fixtures. And it really becomes more, okay, we signed off and we loved this line as it hung on the, on the walls. Right. But then whenever you put it in the store or you think about it, merchandise on the website, it actually doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. And that's whenever the chipping away starts to happen. So the buyer working with you and talking about, hey, how I love that these graphic tees. I want to bring these in. This is, you know, the cost and all of those conversations that they're having with you up front. It then might start to change and change again and change again. If they're a really good buyer, they probably won't give you false hope or they won't keep going back and forth with you. And they'd be honest and level set with you up front. Hey, this is my initial conversation, my initial buy. This has not been reviewed by anybody yet. Could we just have this initial quote. Um, oftentimes as a buyer, I would say, can I get pricing based on different tiers? If I buy 10,000 units, 5,000 units, 2,500 units, can you give me pricing and lead times based on that? Something like that so that it's a little more broad and it's known that it is not set in stone, that it's a working process. So 
as they're going through this whole process of reviewing the product in the store, they're creating key looks, they are making sure that they have a marketing plan, they're reviewing with the e-commerce team and the marketing team, all these things are happening. They're working with their financial planners and making sure that they can afford it and it's changing daily. Sometimes in the same day, it will change three times. I cannot even tell you. I do not miss that. (laughs) I do not miss the changing of direction and guidance. After everything's finalized, they might come back to you and say, okay, we have our buys. We've landed on this many units. They then present it to usually the CEO or the CFO, the financial uh, chief financial officer. There's a lot of the VP of planning. All the different heads of the business come together to sign off on the total financial plan, then the category financial plan, then they dig into the actual categories in the product itself and sign off on the buys down to the SKU level. So in corporate retail, very high level positions are looking at the buys all the way down to the unit level. This happens in so many companies and it seems like it doesn't make sense. Why would a CEO care if I'm buying 500 units of a shower steamer or a thousand units of a graphic knit tee, but it all works together and it is so important that the CEO will oftentimes be sitting in those conversations. So coming out of those meetings, I guarantee you there's nine times out of 10 changes. Then they review it again and review it again. It's reviewed a million times. So if you on the maker side are feeling like the buyers are constantly changing their mind or giving you different direction, that is why. Because everyone from themselves all the way up to the CEO has an opinion and is reviewing the site to make sure the site, not the site, the product to make sure that the perfect collection is coming together for the website, for the floor set, for all the things so that it's a seamless floor set whenever it comes to life in six months or two months, however far out they're buying. So what also can happen after someone has signed off on the buys, you're probably going to guess this, is that sales happen. Things happen in the business. So you might have your floor set signed and sealed. It's not delivered yet, but it's already in progress. The the overseas factories are working on the development and the product um, production And the makers, if you're buying from a brand, from a trade show, they're creating the product for you. But all of a sudden, you have a really bad two weeks of sales and your category is not projecting well. Your financial planner comes to you and says, hey, Kristen, you have 50,000 units of graphic tees on order for the floor set in four months. We can no longer afford that because we're going to have so much inventory coming into that floor set time period that we're going to be way overstocked and we can't afford it anymore. You need to cut 20,000 units. Okay. That happens all the time, all the time. Because again, going back to having all these different roles in corporate versus us being our own businesses, it's so important to be looking at what's happening in your business now and how does that impact you in the future for better or for worse. Sometimes it's your sales are so amazing. You don't have enough inventory. You need to find 20,000 units and pull it out of the sky or on the flip side, business isn't good. You need to cut some of it. So on a very large scale, all the way down to a small scale, we need to be looking at what's happening in our business and how that impacts us going forward as a projection and as a trajectory. So for me, I do have a forecasting plan in my own business and I'm always working on making it more sophisticated, but I'm looking at how much inventory I have and do I have too much or not enough based on my sales plans projections. Not everybody has that, but that's something to start thinking about in your own business because it helps you 
to have more profit in your business down the road. So what can happen on the maker side, on the flip side of all this, on the other side of the curtain from corporate retail is you might have a buyer that you're already well underway in production for an order and they come to you and they say, I'm so sorry, but we can't actually afford that. Can I cut this PO? Can I get rid of it entirely? Can I reduce the units? You might be left wondering why they can't make up their damn minds, but really it's not so much that they can't make up their mind. It's that they are reacting to their business and they are being profit focused buyers and they are making sure that the decisions and the product that they are bringing in, the decisions that they are making are all tied back to their focus. So these are just some of the things that happen throughout the whole process. This is like a very, in 20 minutes, I summed up a what can often take three months, sometimes four months, depending on where Chinese New Year falls, where the factories close. Um, it's a long process and there's things happening in the middle of that. So if you're feeling like your buyer is changing their mind constantly, that could be why. It's not necessarily that they're changing their mind constantly. It's that they are focused on what's happening in their business and projecting out and needing to make changes to make sure that they are focused on their profit and inventory levels. If you are feeling like, I don't even know what the heck a buyer is looking for because last season they were really into my graphic tees and this season they don't even care about graphic tees. Well, maybe here are some insight on that because maybe the concept team says we don't feel that graphic tees fit in this concept. It's more about beautiful, uh, solid colors, really this beautiful range of solid colors and we don't want to see graphics on the floor. That could be why, that that is not a part of their concept so they aren't able to reorder something that you maybe were relying on. So these are just some of the things that I wanted to share with you because I think it's such an interesting process and there's so many layers to it and levels to it, but it does impact you on the brand side when you're maybe wondering why some of the things are happening the way that they're happening. And also I wanted to just remind us all that we are more than likely one person or maybe three, four people if you have some support with social media or um, actually producing your product or packaging and fulfillment of your orders, you oftentimes won't have somebody in your business that's looking at concepts or trends. You won't have somebody that is designing and developing for you and handing it to you on a silver platter to edit. You oftentimes don't have somebody saying, hey, here's how much money you can afford to spend on inventory. You are doing all the things. You're wearing all the hats. And so it's just a really good reminder that you're doing amazing and you're making a lot of decisions. And at the end of the day, you should be focused on creating a brand people are obsessed with, creating product that buyers are going to want to buy from, but also making money in your own business and being profit focused, treating your business, not like a hobby, but like a business. And as you grow and you can afford to bring in more people to help you grow, maybe you feel that numbers aren't your strong suit and you would love to have somebody in that could help you on the financial side, not just bookkeeping, but actually, you know, more of a CFO type role where they're looking at your projections and your inventory plans. Maybe that would be something that would help you to drive more business or more profit in your business. So I just wanted to have this conversation. I hope that you found it insightful and fun. I mentioned trade shows in about the halfway point of this process. And I just think that the trade show stage is the critical 
stage, the critical window to touch the buyer in that process, in that point in the calendar where they are looking specifically for product to buy. So you want to really be strategic about the trade show time period. Because if you remember, I was talking about the designers were working on their designs. The buyers were looking for holes. They were looking for newness. They were looking for trends to bring in. And maybe if they don't have designers at all, they are looking for someone to make it easier for them to make more money in the business that they are buying for. So they are looking for the best product and they're looking for you. You need to be there ready to give it to them on a silver platter saying, here I am. I am the perfect brand for you. You want to stand out and you want to make their job easier. Clearly from what I just walked through, buyers are going through a lot of steps to get to that final landing point of the product is on the floor. They want buyers or buyers want, I should say, they want brands to show up for them and be the perfect answer to what they are looking for. Trust me, they want to find you. Okay. So I am hosting a trade show secrets masterclass to help you figure out for your own brand, how to stand out, how to hit the buyers right at that perfect time when they are looking for new product and new brands to bring into their store, whether you're at the trade shows or not. So the masterclass is going to be two hours. The first hour, I'm going to give you all my tips secrets, behind the scenes, pointers for the trade show itself, how to pick the right trade show, how to build a booth that is going to really stand out to the buyers, how to get the buyers to come in and spend more time in your booth talking to you, seeing and touching and feeling and smelling your amazing product. And that post-show communication strategy is really critical and the consistency of when and how you are following up with them. And if you can't go to the shows at all, how to maximize the opportunity during that trade show season, that trade show window, so that you can take a piece of that open to buy budget that the buyers are preparing to spend. So I'm really excited about this. There's going to be an hour training jam-packed, jam-packed with all my secrets and all the information that I can give you to make you super successful to sell to buyers and figure out what exactly they are looking for and to speak their language to them. The second hour in that trade show is going to be a hot seat coaching. So you're going to have me live for an hour answering questions that you have, brainstorming on your business. I love doing this. I do this with one-on-one clients and I am super excited to be able to help you on that masterclass two-hour window. It's going to be amazing. So there's a link in the show notes. If you want to grab your tickets, it's May 11th and I cannot wait. I cannot wait for this. So it was an awesome conversation today. Please come find me in the DMs if you have any questions about this and check out the masterclass. Oh, it's going to be so good. Hope you have an awesome, awesome week and you crush your sales. All right. That's all I've got for you today. I am so glad that you're here. If you are loving the show, I would be beyond grateful if you would just take a minute to rate and review this podcast just to help spread the word. Now there's something in it for you too, as a little thank you. If you leave a review, share a screenshot or just share the show to your stories and tag me at product to profit coach on Instagram. You'll be entered to win my new monthly giveaway where you'd win a hot seat coaching call with me. You'd have the option to record it live on this podcast, which not only would be so much fun, but would also give your amazing brand some visibility and you a quick win. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope that you absolutely crush your sales this week.